Welcome to the August 1st evening sermon from the Revival at Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. This sermon was delivered by Pastor Clyde Moyer, Jr. God is moving. He was here this morning in power. Many people came forward. I want you to know that God's doing something unusual in this revival. I thought it was just me, but I found out it wasn't just me. I struggled all week, painfully struggled. I took my, my sermon to my best critic, which is my wife, and, and I'm not being funny. She, she lets me know if it makes sense or not. And she basically said, well, it's boring. <clears throat> and I said, but Lord, I, I thought that's what you were telling me to preach on. So I went back and I worked on it again and I brought it back to her the second time, two days later, and she's like, better. And I struggled and I struggled with this thing. And I finally got to where I felt like I had heard what God was saying. I wrestled, I've never wrestled with a sermon in 16 years like this one. Usually that mean God, means God wants to do something. He doesn't want it said. <clears throat> this morning, Brother Derek preached in power. And God confirmed my sermon through him because he used an example that I already had in my sermon. And I went, that's awesome. So I went back and I changed it so I wouldn't copy him on that one example. And then I worked this afternoon on it. And at quarter to seven, I was finishing up over in the office over there. I'd been over there about 30 minutes. And I finally thought I heard what God wanted me to say. And when I went to print it, the printer broke. So I laid hands on the printer pretty much. I was at the point where like, Lord, we're going to fix something here. I, got, I said, Lord, please, you know, I'll take, if I have to, I know you're giving me this. I'm going to take my laptop over. I'll just set the laptop up here whether I can print it out or not. And when I tried it the next time, it printed right on out. And then I came over and I said, Lord, one more time, let me know if this is what you want me to say. And then Pastor Mike used Psalm 100, which is part of my sermon. <clears throat> what's my point my point is is what I've got I don't believe is from me God moved this morning he is here and if you've ever watched a surfer surf they don't paddle out and say I hope the wave comes to me they paddle out and look to see where the ocean is moving and they go there and they ride where the ocean is already moving God through the Holy Spirit is already moving in this revival he moved this morning I was deeply moved through the music tonight. Uh, he is still working. Now, I want a favor. Don't listen to the sermon. Listen to the movement in your heart. God's going to speak to you tonight, not because I'm here, but because of all the wrestling all of us have done to get here. Let God do a miracle in your life. In 1961, Vince Lombardi, who was the coach of the Green Bay Packers, walked into the locker room and he said to the team, Gentlemen, this is a football. He knew that no matter how much talent or ability his players had, there was no substitute for mastering the fundamentals, even though some of his players were the very best in the game. They still needed review on the basic techniques of the game. The church of today as a whole is struggling mightily. If we want revival, just as Coach Lombardi taught his players, the church must come back to the fundamentals of the faith. 
the word of God and move forward from there. We have increased in size. We've increased in technology and knowledge, but we have not increased in holiness or in God's power being evident in our services. We seem to have forgotten who we are and whose we are. As a result, the normal Christian life as seen in the New Testament church is rarely seen in churches or lives today. <clears throat> the normal life meaning walking daily with the, with the Lord in power and seeing God move in their lives and through them to the lives around them. We are largely acting as if we're impotent. We go through the moves and the motions, but nothing really powerful happens. The world needs to see God is still alive and that God is powerful. We have drifted away from the Lord towards the world. We've disconnected ourselves from the only true source of power, that being sincere, fervent, believing prayer that was so prevalent in the early church. We desperately need revival internally and externally a great we need a great turning back to the lord but it won't happen in our nation until it happens in our churches and it will not happen in our churches until it happens in our hearts and it will not happen in my heart until i humble myself before the lord and repent and yield myself to his usefulness consider the day of pentecost when the holy spirit fell on the people in great power. Acts 2, two, second verse says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. What were they doing differently than we do that allowed the Holy Spirit to move in that kind of power? The book of Acts says that the apostles and the believers were gathered together in one accord in prayer and supplication. They prayed in faith, believing God would answer and patiently wait on the Lord. Tonight as we're here through the sermon, I want you to be believing God that he is here and that he will speak to you. If you choose not to do that, you will get nothing. You must believe. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the Luke, the 11th chapter, the first verse. Luke 11, 1. <clears throat> My focus this evening is only on five words. Five words. Lord, teach us to pray. If we want revival, I say, Lord, teach us to pray like the people in the upper room. The fire fell when they prayed. Much of Christendom has lost its way and is floundering in a sea of uncertainty. And it's grabbing at the straws of tolerance and compromise, trying to fit in and get along. Brothers and sisters, we are not supposed to fit in and get along. We're supposed to be living a separated life of faith, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God so he can manifest himself and his power in and through us. We must fall on our faces in prayer, genuinely, and fervently seeking the Lord, and he will take care of the rest. The second great awakening in our country came to be called the Haystack Prayer Meeting. By 1806, the awakening had reached Williams College in Massachusetts. There, five students prayed throughout a thunderstorm in the shelter of a haystack. 
As a result of that prayer meeting, four of those five committed themselves to be missionaries. This was the beginning of the American foreign mission movement. And in addition, 3,000 people were converted throughout those meetings. <clears throat> In 1811, by 1811, approximately one-third of every American in the United States had attended one of the camp meetings that sprung up as a result of the Haystack prayer meeting. What did these five students do to have this happen that we're not doing? They prayed fervently. They believed God would answer, and they led others to do the same. And like the day of Pentecost, the fire fell. I desire in my lifetime to see the fire fall on this church in such a way that people in here are changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. We should be desperately seeking the Lord and asking him to teach us to pray like these five students. If we want the power of a genuine Holy Spirit revival to fall on Clifford Baptist Church, we must commit to fervent prayer individually and as a group. I'm not referring to simply listing our needs and troubles to the Lord. I'm talking about seeking God sincerely and praying for the Holy Spirit to fall on us and guide us. How long? Until he answers. Prayer is the greatest source of untapped power available to Christians. We all say we believe it, but the truth is we don't much look like we believe it. If our church Clifford Baptist Church, as a whole, genuinely believes what God said about prayer, we would not have 60 to 80 people here on Wednesday nights. We would have a packed house, and the power of the Lord would be so evident that the word of that would drift out of the doors and people would be coming. Why don't we believe God will meet us here? Why don't we believe that he'll manifest himself on us like he did on other people of the past? We choose not to, and because of that, he cannot fall. Mark eleven twenty two to 24 says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire, while ye pray, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Are you believing that God's going to speak to you tonight? Do that. If we're not experiencing the fulfillment of verses like these, something in us needs to change. You know there's an old saying, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Prayer that's not working needs a change. Something is wrong there. We need a Holy Spirit revival in our prayer life. Like the apostles, we need to petition Jesus to teach us to pray in faith, believing that he's going to answer and is answering even as we're asking. Until we do that, we hinder the Lord from releasing the power that he so desperately wants us to have. I wonder if we realize that God will not move if we choose not to believe that he'll come. We must believe. Believing is the core of Christianity. 
Believing in the way that it takes to get saved has nothing to do with mental agreement. Mental agreement is only the first step. The true word used in the Greek for believe means to adhere to, to commit to, to rely upon, to trust in. It's an action word. If you believe on Christ in order enough in the way the Bible says in order to have salvation in your heart, that means it will change you entirely. You can no more get saved and not change completely than you can fall in water and not get wet. That kind of belief. We need to have the same kind of belief in prayer. If we're going to pray for rain, we should be carrying an umbrella. We need to demonstrate our faith in the Lord before the answer comes. If we can't do that, there was no faith in the first place. We must pray genuine heartfelt prayers. We need to pray fervent prayers. What do I mean by a fervent prayer? The best example in the Bible I know of is Jacob who said, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. Have you ever prayed that? I have. And I believe God loves it when we storm heaven with our prayers because it demonstrates genuine belief. We mean business. Uh, I've forgotten who the Christian a patriarch was that said this, but one of our Christian forefathers said, God doesn't answer prayer, he answers desperate prayer. You have to mean it when you come to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, true prayer is neither a mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. Neither is prayer a recitation of something written down, a magic formula. Mike and I have commiserated about folks that come to us to be prayed over, and it's like they think we can do some magic spiritual dust, and it'll happen. If that person we're praying for chooses not to believe God on their own, we don't have much to work with. They have to come to the Lord. Of course, we'll lift you up. We'll go to, the, go to our knees in prayer for you. We will be consistent in it. But you have to do your part. For prayer to be successful, we must heed the guidance of Hebrews 11.6, which says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Followed by James 1.6 and 7, which says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You ever tried to write when you're bumping down a dirty road, dirt road somewhere and the paper moves and the pen moves and you just can't get it quite in place? That's a little bit like God trying to bless a doubting man. I believe this minute, I doubt the next. I believe this minute, I doubt the next. If you believe in doubt and believe in doubt and believe in doubt, you don't believe. Belief has absolutely nothing to do with feelings. Belief is an act of the will based on God's word. And if you believe what God said, it will happen just as he promised. Now, maybe not in your timing, but it will happen. I would like to share an acronym with you to help you remember four points to help us learn to pray the way God wants us to pray. My wife shared this with me. I altered one of the words, but the four, we're going to take the word pray and make an acronym out of it. Prepare, repent, ask, and yield. Prepare. We need to prepare to pray. 
As an employee at West Faco, when I worked there, I never went charging into the president of the company's office without an invitation, without the fact that I had prepared myself to look as I should when I was in there, prepared my thoughts so that I could be concise and articulate in what I was asking. Well, that's a whole lot less than barging into the office of the creator of the universe. God is God. We should reverence him and the way we approach him. I despise hearing the big man upstairs or OMG or people describing God as some grandfatherly old man with whiskers down to his lap who would never say no to a child. Well, number one, we're not all God's children. Only saved people are God's children. The rest of them are just God's creation. Secondly, God is not old or young. He is eternal. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He has, knows everything from the, the end, from the beginning. When we come into his presence, we're talking to the person that created us, who gives us every breath. Are we going to come in there and be flippant? We should be praising him and thanking him that we even have the breath to get in the door. We should never enter the presence of God lightly. And yes, he does tell us to call him Abba, which is translated loosely, Daddy. But we, as we call him Daddy and crawl up in his lap to talk to him, we need to remember we're not crawling into our father's lap. We're crawling into the lap of God Almighty. Reverence him. Realize whose presence you're coming into. I wonder sometimes if people don't get answers to prayers because they forget who they're praying to. It's just a ritual, a routine, as Brother Derek said this morning. We can prepare by reading scriptures on prayer. Look at the Word of God. Check out where other people in the Word of God prayed. Check out Abraham and Daniel and Jacob. And guess what? Check out Jesus' prayers. The Son of God had to pray. When the disciples asked Jesus to pray, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, the example he gave them is what we can usually term the Lord's Prayer, which it's actually not the Lord's Prayer. He was telling the disciples, this is your prayer. This is how you pray to me. And, of course, we couldn't even get that right. We got that backwards. But if you break the Lord's Prayer down into the primary focus, you'll see that he began, Jesus began with praise, immediately followed by asking the Lord to have his will done. Then he moved on to say, Lord, give us our daily needs, not the needs for next week or next year, our daily needs, one day at a time. We live one day at a time or you're going to mess something up. Then he followed it by saying, pray for forgiveness. Then he finally finished up with protection and deliverance as a request and then finished by praising God again. He, he entered the with praise, and he came out with praise. Mike, Psalm 100 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. We need to humble ourselves before him and realize that we are nothing and he is everything. There is nothing good in us except what Christ has put there. We should never be arrogant or proud or act entitled just because we're saved. God judged the angels. Do you think he won't punish his own children? Those of you that are parents have had to discipline your children when they needed it. And you know what? If you're a child of God, God will say, will, has saved you. He will still discipline you when you, need, when you need correction and refocusing. I have spent many an hour in the woodshed of the Lord. 
Let's repent. That's, that's the second word, the second point. When I mow her lawn at home and weedy it, I get totally filthy, covered in grass clippings, wringing wet with sweat. I'm disgusting even to myself. There is no way that I would dare come into the house of the Lord in that shape if there was any way I could avoid it because it would show irreverence. It would show that I didn't think of him as I should. Now, I'm going to clean up and dress in a manner that shows some reverence for his, in his presence. But more importantly than the outside, and this is the part we miss a lot, we need to make sure that our heart is right. Is our heart clean? We need to come before the Lord in humility, honestly agreeing with him about our sins, asking forgiveness for them. We should not just pray and ask God to forgive us for all of our sins. That sounds nice, but it's basically just a recitation and totally inadequate to deal with the reality of our sins. We know what our sins are. You know why you have sin in your life? You like it. That's why you kept it. It's the same reason I kept it. And you know what? It's going to get in the way of my relationship for God and what God can do to me and through me until I get rid of those sins. Talk to the Lord about each of those sins individually, not as a group. Admit to, to him where you failed in this specific area. Ask him to intervene and give you the power to choose to renounce that sin daily. Now here's a, something maybe you haven't thought of. I believe that this is something God started me doing in this last year. And honestly, I had never had this cross my mind before. I have begun to ask the Lord to remind me of the sins of my past that I have not repented of, that I have not asked forgiveness for them. I want to clean up what's behind me. Now, I'm saved and those sins are forgiven. But if I have anything in my past, hatred, a grudge, whatever, that I just swept under the rug of my heart and moved forward and said, I'm saved now, I don't need to worry about it. God said, I want to see that thing. And I want to cleanse you of it. Ask God to bring to your mind the sins of your past so that you can bring them to him. He'll remind us of things that we haven't thought of in years or decades. When I started, I was shocked that some of the things I remembered were when I was 10 and 11 years old. And I've asked him to cleanse me of those things. And I want you to know, every time I do that, I'm lighter. I have more light inside. Regardless of how far in the past something may be, we can never truly let it go if we haven't brought it before the Lord in repentance and asked him to forgive us. We say, just let it go. You can't let it go if it's still holding on to you. You have to have the power of God break the grip on you that it has. Jesus wants to free us of every chain of sin that we're dragging along behind us, past present and future. Only after we've done this are we ready to come before the Lord and hear him clearly. Repentance will fix the problem that you can't hear God clearly. Your sin is the static in your life like a, a poorly tuned radio station. Truly coming before the Lord and asking for cleansing, cleansing inside and out in my physical body, my physical actions, my mental thoughts, my past um, memories, 
whatever is there. I've had to release people from the grudge I had against them decades ago. We have to choose to do those things. The next point, point three would be to ask. Realize and believe that God wants to hear what you have to say. He loves us beyond any understanding of ours. He greatly desires to spend time with us. And he already knows what we need before we speak. But in his wisdom, he requires us to have the responsibility to ask him for those things. He wants us to partner with him in getting rid of our sins by bringing them to him and getting guidance from him by asking. It's no different than when we were children and we'd go to our mom or our dad and ask, this is what I want to do, and well, why do you want to do that, son? Well, this is why I think I need to do that. Now, the difference is, is earthly parents can make a mistake. God cannot. He has never made a mistake. And because of that, we can rest in the fact that he knows what he's doing. Don't ask just for your own issues. In the same way I recommend that you pray and ask God to reveal sins of the past that you need to have forgiveness for, when you finish praying for the things that you know you need, the issues in your life, ask him who he wants you to pray for. He will bring people to your mind. It may be somebody next door. It may be a missionary halfway around the world. It is shocking sometimes how God welds people together when you hear the other side of the story and people have welded together in prayer, totally unknowing of each other, and God has accomplished it. He has given us the privilege of laboring in prayer with him to release his power. Remember, God has limited himself, it seems, in many ways to the power he can release to what will allow him to give by faith believing. Hearing God ask us to pray for things we don't know about is an amazing experience. Learning to listen to God may be one of the greatest secrets of answered prayer. Most of the time, we go to the Lord, we lay it out, and then when we're finished, we go, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, and jump up and go on about our business. How are we going to get an answer if we won't keep our mouth shut and sit still and listen? Be still and know that he is God. It's just simple logic. This isn't even rocket science, folks. If you want to hear God speak, sit still and ask him to speak to you and teach you his voice. The longer you hang out with him, the quicker you'll recognize when it's him that's talking. Finally, point four is yield. In order to have the power of God fall on you and work in you, we must recognize again that he is God and we are not. He always knows the right thing. We have to be willing in our heart to yield to God, to let him have his will. If we demand a particular result from the Lord, regardless of whether it's his will or not, you're going to end up assuming God never answers prayer, so it isn't even worth doing, because he's not going to answer that. That makes about as much sense as praying for an answer about something that has already been clearly laid out in Scripture. If the Bible says adultery is wrong, don't pray for God and say, Lord, I think you've led me to this other person. Satan told you that. God's not going to contradict his word. If it says it in the Bible, there are no revisions. It does not change with time. It was truth from time immortal past to your time eternity in the future. It will never change. 
If it's sin in there, it's sin out here. I don't care what we think of it. Anytime I disagree with the Bible, you want to know who's wrong? It's not the word. Give it all to him. Let God use you. When he wants you to do something, do what he says. You know, one of the things we forget is that because he's God, he sees the end from the beginning. Well, now, if you have somebody that you're going to ask a question of about a place you've got to go, and one person has never been there, and you ask the other person who grew up there and knows every groundhog hole in the community, who are you going to ask? That's a no-brainer. You ask the person that knows the end result. There's only one entity that knows what's next, and that's God. Why would we trust ourselves over God? That's a form of idolatry. We're setting ourselves up as our own God when we disagree with God and say, I think it'd be better if I worked it out this way. You know what he'll do? He'll let you. He won't tell you I told you so, but you're going to end up, might as well saying it to yourself, because you're going to end up right where, you, where the word says you're going to end up. Luke 22, give, uh, verse 42, shows us something that's amazing to me. Well, we're talking about prayer for Christians. But did you know that even Jesus, God's son, was required to act in faith and to yield to God's will to get the prayers answered? Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Then in Hebrews 5, 8, it says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. If you've got a preacher talking to you saying, If you're a Christian, all your troubles are over, walk out of the church. Just get up and leave. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The day you got saved, troubles kick in. Satan now does not have your soul anymore. So the only thing he can do is mess up your life, mess up your peace, mess up your witness. And he's got to work harder at you for that. How many of you that bought a car and have paid it off would go back next week and say, I'd just like to come back to the dealership and pay you for it again? When Satan already owns you, which he does if you're lost, he doesn't have to work hard. He'll let you be religious. He'll let you sit in Clever Baptist Church every Sunday with mental agreement but no heart change. You've got to be genuine. You've got to come to the Lord. We have a Savior that's been there, done that. He understands their fears and their problems because he's been there. If we continue to demand our own way with no regard to the will of the Father, we will not experience revival, peace with God, or answers to our prayers. We will hear silence that we created. It is completely our choice. At this time, I would ask, what are you dealing with? Most of the time when we ask each other, how are you doing? We almost always say, hey, I'm fine, I'm doing good, and we lie. Every single human being in this room has a problem of some kind, a challenge of some kind, a hurdle before them of some type. And I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit is already moving here. That wave is coming through. If you want it fixed, if you want an answer from the Lord, if you need a healing, I don't care what you need, you come on down here and talk to Jesus about it. Jesus can fix it. And nobody else can. But you're required to believe it and come do what he says to do. We don't need you to come talk to us as pastors unless you want to. We'd be happy to talk with you and pray with you. But you're not coming to meet with us. 
You're coming to meet with the God of the universe, the Son that died to save you, and the Holy Spirit that is the only power that exists. Whether you go home with your miracle in your pocket is up to you. Personally, he has been blessing me all day. And I give you my word, God will move in your heart if you'll trust him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the people that are here. Lord, remove anything I said, Lord. Just let what you said through me be heard. I ask, Father, that every single person in the room would think about that mountain in their life, whatever that is. Lord, let them realize that they can bring it to you where they sit. They can bring it to you at the altar. They can come down and we'll pray with them for it. But the point is they need to bring it to you in faith believing and you will touch them and heal whatever the situation is. Father, all I ask is that whatever you want done in each person's heart be done. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.